0: Okay, <laughs> there's my voice. I knew it was there. Um, and um, I threatened, I mean, I, I mentioned this back when we did Mother's Day with motherly proverbs, that there would be a follow-up with fatherly proverbs. And sometimes we just don't stop and think, you know, this is one of the divine institutions that God has made. and We know it is fully under attack by Satan and his forces because we know that there is volition that... Um, Uh, starts at all, the first divine institution. The next one is marriage between one man and one woman. Next is family. And the last one is nation. So we find very clearly that that this is something that God has designed for us. It is something that he has taught us. Now, does the Bible spend any time talking to dads? It spends time talking to moms, and it certainly spends time talking to dads. Because dads are given the responsibility for their family, that's where he put it. It's not that one is, is equal or unequal with the other one. It, men and women are equal before God. Male and female, he created them. But it is also very clear that there are different roles to be carried out within the family arrangement. So some fatherly proverbs, some things that are addressed directly to, uh, to fathers... And um, it, it's interesting that it's—I call it fatherly proverbs. There's probably not a lot of proverbs here quoted from the book of proverbs, but there's certainly a lot from all over all over the Bible. This is applied to grandfathers, fathers, father figures. All who are honoring the Father. So how does one become a good father? How does one do the things that God has called the Father to do? And first of all, we have to know what it entails. What it involves. And that's what we get from studying the Word of God. We find out in the Word of God there are some good ones. And we also find out there are some bad ones. King David, so great in so many areas, failed as a father. And that's even spelled out. And yet, it is something that, uh, you know, I'm sure him looking back on it now, well, yeah, I could have done some things better. And uh, so, we're going to go through some things that involve uh, Father's role within the family. And um, we'll do this in, in honor of Father's Day today. Before we begin, let's just take a minute. Let's put ourselves in front of the throne of grace. I find it interesting, we're we're singing a song, Draw Me Close to You. Some people think you're drawn, and we are to a degree, but it involves us going to Him. Draw Me Close to You. It's an active movement. Come boldly into the throne of grace. It's not passive. It says, come on in there. And you make the decision. You want to do that. You want to have a relationship with the Almighty. We've just gone through faith, hope, and love and the relationship with the Trinity that each one of those those has and it's such a beautiful picture that where's the object of our faith well that's the Lord himself who has this amazing plan laid out the end from the beginning we know the Lord's involved the Father's the one that executes it though that's where our hope is found and who brought us the who, what did the Holy Spirit bring us when he moved inside the fruit of the Spirit is love faith hope and love so we want a relationship with the Trinity then faith, hope, and love is how we grow and how we do that. And as we watch God do amazing things, utterly amazing things, as we watch Him work, you're not going to see Him work if you're not looking for Him. Have you ever noticed that? Only occasionally does He speak from heaven and say, Behold my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Only occasionally, but what He does is work through people. He works through events. He works through places. He works in ways that, as David said, his ways are not our ways. So we have to be looking for him. Some fatherly proverbs. How do we, as father figures, if you will, how do we live in such a way that we will represent the Almighty Father? That's what we're going to look at. Let's just take this time for prayer, present ourselves in front of the throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing blessings that you have poured out on the human race by Father giving us the ability to choose and Father also the consequences for those decisions. That is indeed a great blessing. Father, we thank you for the marriage relationship between one man and one woman and we pray for that amazing design and what you have put together there. Father, we thank you for the family and what it represents. And sometimes we so easily forget that we as believers in Jesus Christ are all a part of this one family called the body of Christ. And Father, that we have such a privilege by being in that body. And we also have responsibilities that go with it. And Father, also a nation. We know that part of a breakdown of a nation, no matter what it is or what time frame of history, when those divine institutions start falling apart, so does... The nation, And, Father, we've watched it in our own nation. But I pray that we'd be reminded today of the things that your word has said to us that we need to know. It's not only good for the fathers to know it, Father, and we thank you for that, but we know it's also good for the ladies to know it too. So when the ladies start looking for someone to be the father of the children, they know what to look for. And whenever the men hold themselves up to the standard established by the Lord... Father that they'll be able to be an example. So Father, may we learn today so that we may be those examples. In Jesus name we ask it. Amen. Well, <clears throat> fatherly proverbs and where would you start if you were going to start with being an honorable father? I would think one of the first places is humility. and that's a simple recognition of authority. Who's the boss? We have such an amazing breakdown now. We have people in our nation who want to take authority and they're not capable of using it. But they want to force it upon you. But humility is a recognition of authority. And a good father, because he has a role of authority, he must understand how to be obedient to authority. Thomas Akempis, one of the old church fathers, says, A humble man, God protects and delivers. The humble he loves and comforts. To the humble God condescends. On the humble he bestows more abundant measures of his grace and after his humiliation exalts him unto glory. Chrysostom said, foundation of Christianity's humility. Spurgeon said, it takes more skill than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. <laughs> ever thought about that? Takes more skill than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. We don't like that, do we? And yet, a real realization of authority and an orientation to it is very, very important. Now, sometimes authority has to be enforced as a father. Where'd you come? You're not going to mess with me again today, are you? Yes, you are. Quit. Try another button. Sometimes it got to be enforced. Deuteronomy chapter 8. See, as a father, you have a responsibility. You have, you have the authority, but the authority is designed to do good. Deuteronomy 8 says, All the commandments that I'm commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your forefathers, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? That he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart. And whether you would keep his commandments or not. See, the Lord already knew that. It was for our benefit. He humbled you. And he let you be hungry. And he fed you with manna that you didn't understand. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand (coughs) Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Wow. Humility. Sometimes it's got to be enforced. Sometimes we have to learn the hard way. And it's so sad because sometimes we think we got it all figured out, and sometimes we just have to learn the hard way. So, as a father, that's a big prayer for wisdom to know when to. Correct, how to correct, how to go about doing it, and following up on it. It's so very, very important. Sometimes it must be enforced. Now, it's interesting that it should be voluntary. Humility should be voluntary. I have obedience here, but obedience is humility. If you're obeying something, you're humbling yourself in regard to that person or standard. It should be voluntary. Philippians chapter 2 is such a great passage therefore since there is encouragement in Christ that's first class condition in the Greek it's not if there is maybe there is maybe there is isn't. it's first class if there is and there is so it's since there is encouragement in Christ since there is consolation of love since there is fellowship of the spirit since there is affection and compassion Paul says, make my joy complete by being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. So the church at Philippi, this is what Paul is saying. All this is here. You have all the assets that you need from the Lord. Make it happen. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Boy, I think we need to take out billboards on that. I think it was one of the... uh, one of our better presidents, a guy named Reagan, had quoted on his desk, he said, it's amazing what can be done, how much can be done when nobody cares who gets the credit. Amazing. That's true. Because everybody wants to be the big dog. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. I don't know if we can say that anymore or not. But there's too many people in power and and not enough underlings to carry everything out. But he says, Don't do anything. Do nothing from selfishness, it's all about me, or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look out merely for your own personal interest. Don't neglect yourself. He's he's balancing that for us. He said, But also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves. It was also in Christ Jesus who although he exists in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, who had full capabilities to make decisions. And he is the one that made the decision. He spells it, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. He, He knew who he was. He knew he was God in the flesh. He knew without question. And yet, in his humanity, his humanity had to make decisions along the way, just like the first Adam did. These are real tests of what what faced the Lord. Being found in appearance, he humbled himself even to death at a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him, and he bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, should bow. That says to every human being... They should bow before the Lord. They should humble themselves before the Lord. They should stop trying to save themselves... And go to a Savior. He says of those who are in heaven... And on earth... And under the earth. And that's quite a statement. And that every tongue will confess... That Jesus Christ is Lord... To the glory of God the Father. This passage says every knee should bow... Romans 14:11 goes to a pure future. This one's a subjunctive and says that At the name of Jesus every knee will bow. The sad thing though, for some it's too late. For some it will be too late. Compare scripture with scripture and you figure that out pretty easily. Cuz when we draw our last breath from what we know from scripture it's over. Now <clears throat> It should be voluntary. Here's a picture of the Lord washing the disciples' feet. It's not a photograph. Please excuse me if you thought I said that. I didn't mean to. But anyway, it should be voluntary. When he bent down to wash the disciples' feet, this is an act of humility. Can you imagine the creator of the universe humbling himself to wash Peter's feet? They had to be real bad. But anyway, what did he do? This is what fathers should be. There should be a humility. There is still an authority. There is still the need to teach respect for authority. But that authority should be used to serve. Our Heavenly Father extends the invitation. From 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so he can exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. It's interesting what he's talking about here in humility. And here is this casting all your marimna, all your distractions, all your little petty grievances, whatever, no matter whatever it is, cast all of those things on him because he cares for you. In the context to not do that's arrogance. Sometimes we don't want to bother the Lord or think, I can handle it myself. Instead of just going into the throne, be a sober spirit. There's that word sober again that we saw in the first first hour. Be on the alert, spiritually awake. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion... ...seeking someone to devour. Resist him. See, our Heavenly Father extends this invitation to us. Now, the next thing is obedience. So, after humility, I want to be a good father... And you want to teach people about fatherhood and how fatherhood should be. <coughs> Obedience is a, client's, a compliance with authority. And so, while children should be respectful to dad, they should also be to mom. And it is up to the dad to teach that. The attitude, I, I have this quote here, and I forgot to write down where I stole it from. But I'm going to tell you I stole it. And God knows who gets the credit for this. But the attitude of your will be done is not one of resignation. But it is one of soaring aspiration and joyous dedication to a high adventure. See, can God put together and does he put together things of such a nav- nature you can never think or imagine yourself? So when you say to him, your will be done, we normally come with a grocery list. We've got a plan all worked out. Lord, I want you to take care of this plan. I want to do things this way. And so I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming with my plan. I want you to bless my plan. And if my plan needs a little tweaking along the way, then I'm humble enough to accept that. Not, that's not the way it is. Your will be done. That's Christ's words. What was he getting ready to do? Go to the cross. That's exactly what he was getting ready to do. And that was a dedication. To what? Being separated from the Father. <coughs> that high adventure. He'd never been separated. It was a daring and bold adventure. To do that. Obedience is the chief Marker of a love for God. Whether or not we love Him. That's why I put this picture of experiencing over here. It's a test. In John chapter 14, the night before the cross. In John chapter 14, verse 15. This is interesting because he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What is the real test of love of the Lord? Love of the Father, love of the Holy Spirit. What's the real test? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, and that's fourteen, fifteen. I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, that he might be with you forever, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. It's a change of location. Base of operations of the Holy Spirit. He was upon Old Testament believers. He will be in you. Day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit moved on the inside. And he says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while. The world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live. You will live also. In that day. You will know that I am in the Father. And you and me, and I and you, and he who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. See what he just did? 14:15. If you love me, you keep my commandments. 14:21. Why is he doing this? Because these guys are slow learners. We should learn from from them. He says, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. So he's saying that even though he's out of the world, you'll have have a real good idea about this guy named Jesus. And he says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my father will love him. We will come to Him. This is a relationship with the Trinity. And make our abode with Him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's that sent me. So the chief marker of whether or not we love God is obedience. It's obedience. Do we love Him or not? Well, there's some things that we don't know. Lord, what is Your will? Some things are not clearly spelled out. Now, what should you do this afternoon after you get home from, from church? Not spelled out in the Word. Do something that's honoring to Him, but you've got a whole lot of freedom to figure out what that is. what is that going to be. The obedience, though, to hint to the known things. How does He want us to live? Humbly. How does He want us to live? Sacrificially. Huh? As Christ lived. How does He want us to live? Those are the things... That display and build our love relationship with the Lord. Now disobedience is costly. 1 Samuel 15. Go back to the Old Testament on this one. And Saul said to Samuel. I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which the Lord sent me. And it brought back Agag the king of Amalek. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. That's Saul. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to feed and to heed rather than the fat of lambs. For rebellion is the sin of divination. Insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He's rejected you, Saul, from being king. See what disobedience does? Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. Because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Disobedience is quite costly. We could have a crown for eternity and we could lose that. Disobedience is quite costly. The story there of Saul, it's amazing. Why didn't God show grace? Didn't he confess his sin? I mean, there's a lot of, lot of questions. Didn't he do the right thing? Saul did the right thing. Why didn't he take him back? Because the Lord knows all oh, the way everything is, is and everything could be. And what if he would have just said, Okay, Saul, you're okay. And he just slapped him on the wrist and took him back. What Saul did was disobey in front of all the the people of Israel. It was a very bold sin. It was a very wrong sin. You know, did it happen to Moses too? It sure did, didn't it? You were told to speak to the rock. Not strike it. You're not going in to the land. But Lord, please... Moses knew what he did wrong, but it was disobedience. And in front of a whole lot of people. And the Lord said, I'm not not letting you do that. There is a cost to disobedience. Disobedience is costly. And that's a compliance with authority. And sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes we don't even realize that. You know, sometimes we get away with it, and it's really not good that we do. Yesterday, I was taking my grandson home. I hate to confess such a thing. Especially the former officer sitting in the back. So you can close your ears, Seth. But I was taking him home, and I was looking at something new. They just got put up at the school, and I drove right past the street that I'm supposed to turn into to take him home. Uh, He'd been over at the house helping us, and it was a whole lot of fun uh, to help. And so... I made a turn out of the left lane to go back to where we were going and I just made a U-turn. And uh, I don't think it was a legal U-turn. And just as I'm making this turn, I look and there's a police officer coming. <laughs> right at me. And I'm going, okay guys, it's going to take a few minutes. I knew he was going to whip in right behind me and start writing that ticket out. There. And... He didn't. He just kept on driving. I don't know what the deal was or anything. But see, I got uh, graced out, if you will, on that. But I really shouldn't have got away with it. What I did was, was wrong. It was illegal. I was safe about being illegal. Have you ever noticed that? Because I looked all the directions. There wasn't anybody coming except that police officer I didn't see. And he just kept moving on. Disobedience is costly. You violate traffic laws, it can cost you out of the pocketbook significantly. Now we've got, what, humility. We've got obedience. We have nobility. You as a father have a noble position. Now what is nobility? I'm not talking about elitism. That's a whole different work that's a work of the flesh. Nobility is living your station in life. Who you are. Now, who are you? See, if you're trying to live a station that you don't have or possess, that is just nothing but arrogance and is nothing but hypocrisy. But you, we have to live, we're called to live certain things. Now, nobility, according to the dictionary, is possessing outstanding qualities of high birth. Or exalted rank, possessing very high or excellent qual- qualities or, profits, or properties, very good or excellent. Uh, it's thoughts and actions that go in accordance with a superior position. Okay, might be a redneck and still be noble, but it's not that you that you necessarily act like a redneck. You have some there's some class that goes with it. Aristotle said that virtue is more clearly shown in the performance of fine actions than in the non-performance of base ones. Now, that's pretty good description. Nobility is shown in doing the right thing rather than not doing the wrong things. So we're called to a life of nobility. Now, who are you in Christ? Well, you can get one of those Books back there on the back table and you can get over 50 things about who we are in Christ, what we got at the moment of salvation and all that. But we're part of a royal priesthood. To even stop and think about that. A royal priesthood. What if you were a Jew and they had a Levitical priesthood? Okay? Priesthoods have gone with every single belief system that there is. They always have a priesthood of some kind. These people are in a high position. Now everybody who's a believer in Christ is a royal priest, not just a priest, a king priest. First Peter two nine says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did he give us this position? So we could strut our stuff and try to get everybody to bow down to us? Or rather, to humble ourselves before the Lord and tell everybody about the one that put us there. That should be the right attitude. He says, once you weren't a people, now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a part of a royal priesthood. Now that is is special. Any culture, any society, anywhere, the priesthood is always special. And we're all that as Christians, as believers in Christ right now. Now as royalty, we're supposed to be led by the law of love. As royalty, from James chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law. Interesting word choice there. (coughs) Royal law. It is a law for royalty. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing the sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty Of all of it. For he said do not commit adultery. Also said don't commit murder. But now if you do not commit adultery. But do commit murder. You have become transgressor of the law. Now speak and act. As those who are to be judged. By the law of liberty. The law of liberty. Is not just freedom. Freedom without rules is anarchy. Liberty. Is freedom with rules to make the society function as it should this royalty you're a king seated on the throne should you love your subjects or hate them should you enslave them should you force them to do things that are that are uh, beyond their capabilities or whatever should you treat them like dogs no the good king I'm certainly thankful for that because I know the Lord is going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And we're going to be his subjects. And you know, it's not going to be slavery as it's been known throughout the centuries. This is something that is going to be so wonderful because we'll be bond slaves. We're there because we want to be. We are going to serve him because he is the greatest master who has ever lived anywhere in any time. Now, this should shine through in all our plans. As we plan, we should plan like royalty plans. Isaiah 32.8 says, The noble man devises noble plans. And by noble plans, he stands. You make plans for things that are good. And you share them, you spread them, and you do it out of a law of love. Now, wisdom should be the guide. Here is a proverb. We do have a proverb in there for somebody that that did the the lighthouse. <coughs> Every time I see a lighthouse, I'm reminded of a a story. There was Admiral <coughs> out in the oceans, and they contacted a light they saw coming. They saw coming at them, and they contacted this light and they said, "This is Admiral. You need to." Change course. Move. You need to go in another direction. That's what you need to do. Sir, we recognize who you are. We, we know who you are. And uh, you're going to have to change course. Admiral came back. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you, I am Admiral so-and-so of the 5th Fleet. Da, 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 da. You have to change course. Do it now. Humble voice came back. Sir, we just cannot do that cannot comply with your instructions Admiral came back and said if you don't change course then I'm, we're going to run right over you he says we are a battleship the guy came back and said we're a lighthouse <laughs> okay <laughs> There's a lot of ways <laughs> to be humbled. So I see this this lighthouse out there. And it's amazing what those things are do will do, but they can see that they had a they had an idol on the southern tip of India, right there at Cape Cormoran at one time and it had a stone in the idol's eye that was so big that they set a candle in front of it. And that was the lighthouse. It could be seen for miles and miles at sea. And then somehow the British came and the diamond disappeared and they built another lighthouse. But um, it was amazing that that stone placed just right with the candles all they needed. And they could light up that whole southern end of India. Wisdom needs to be the guide. Proverbs 8. Listen. Writer of Proverbs. Solomon, I will speak noble things. The openings of my lips will reveal right things. My mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There's nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction, not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all desirable things cannot compare with with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way. And the perverted mouth I hate. Wisdom hates that. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom I'm understanding. Power is mine, and by me kings reign. Rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. If we want to have this nobility, wisdom's got to guide us. That's purely it. Wisdom is, is so often found when you pray to the Lord for wisdom. He lacks it, asking. A lot of times he doesn't give it to you to, till exactly when you need it. And that's part of the test. The Lord likes to give us a test and say, you want to grow with this or not? So a lot of times we get this test and we start figuring out all these solutions. And the first part of the test is pray for wisdom. First part of the test. Pray, Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to deal with this person? How am I going to fix this problem? I know that there's probably some of you like me. I know when something went wrong with my car. You know, I could replace ten parts before I found the right one. Because I kept that, well, it's got to well, be this. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. So I didn't have the wisdom to know which one it really was. So wisdom sometimes is gained by trial and error. Instead of learning other people. What does it say the wise person learns from his own mistakes? But the wisest person learns from the mistakes of others. Wisdom should be the guide. And this lets one have a divine perspective on life. From Ephesians chapter 5 verses 6 to 12. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Don't be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness now you're light in the Lord so walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth in trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate with them in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead expose them. Because it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Expose them. Oh, let's see. What kind of things can we expose now? Oh, bringing drag queens into <clears throat> into uh, classrooms for kids. What's the matter with that? It's a perversion. Why is it a perversion? Because God made people one way and trying to change the that type of thing simply by your thing. That's a problem. It's not going to work. And then to try and say it's all right. To try and say... These things are all right. I read into a comment the other day. I mentioned it already. Found in a... a Usually conservative... uh, Article. And it said... That many Christians think... Homosexuality is a sin. Because they take... Certain translations from the many different Bibles that belong to the Christians. And I thought, I know it can get more evil, but how? There's one Bible. And people who don't know any better go, oh yeah. Now, in the original languages, the first one, the real one, that's what it says. It is a sin it is not unforgivable. And Christians that have proclaimed that have, have proclaimed it wrong. But it is a sin. And as a sin, there are things that need to be taken care of. And to say, to, you know, when people won't even let you say something's a sin because that's hate speech or, or the like, they don't have any perspective on life. It's interesting that they won't use the word sin when it comes to moral issues. <clears throat> but if you don't think like they do, you're a sinner, whether they use the word or not. Now, this lets the divine perspective on life. And I, I kind of got this picture of the comet because it's interesting. If you look at something like that, you can in a way project the future. If you can see if you could see an arrow traveling and you saw it at this point, you would know where it's going to be at the end point barring a change in wind or something like some other factor, you have a little glimpse into the future. So if you have this perspective in life, and you can see where things are going, then you can get a little perspective into into the future of what's going to happen. Now, when you see people following a certain path, and it's a path of destruction, what you can look at and say is, apart from intervention, divine intervention with the Word of God... This is probably what's going to happen. It is not environmental determinism that does that. It's a continued series of bad choices that takes them there. And if you see the cycle going on and they're not willing to change, guess where it's going to end up? That's not being a prophet. That's just having a divine perspective on life. To see when God says you start out this way and you don't fix it, This is where you end up. How about overcoming? (laughs) Defeating the enemy. I saw this picture. I think it came out way grainier than I thought it would. This little kitty cat looking in the mirror and seeing a lion. I think they all do that. I think they all do. Kitty cats. Of course, George is the expert on kitty cats. I like kitty cats to a degree. They will not rule over me, though. And they will if you give them a chance. But anyway, the <clears throat> here is this. Defeat the enemy. Who, who are we facing? Yeah, he's bad. You know, if you don't overcome the enemy, you'll be overcome by him. You ever thought about that? If you don't overcome him. Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. Don't we want to be an overcomer? Didn't they just give us a whole big list there of stuff that, that could overcome us? impurity, immorality, sensuality, I mean, uh, failure to love the Lord, failure to walk in His light. There's all kinds of things. We have to be overcomers in our own generation, facing the things that we run into in a particular generation. Now, the enemy is the devil, and his policy is evil. The enemy is the devil, his policy is evil. Romans 12:21. how do we combat evil? <clears throat> Don't be overcome by evil, Overcome evil with good. Simple statement. I love these simple statements like that. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just before that, it says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Things build up. And as we know, there reaches a time when grace runs out. This requires the word of God alive on the inside of us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, I'm writing to you fathers. Now do you ever want a verse written directly to you as a father? Here it is. I'm writing to you fathers. Because you know him, capital H, who has been from the beginning. He's writing to believing fathers. I'm writing to you young men, because you've overcome the evil one. These are believers. I have written to you children, because you know the Father. I have written to you fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you young men, because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. In the next verses, we're going to find out how we do the overcoming. And that's 1 John 5, which says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one that has overcome the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of the God. It's accomplished by faith. The enemy is the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6. It's not that against the, but it is against the world forces of darkness in the heavenly places, the prince of the power of the air, and now he has control of airwaves in a way that the apostle Paul could have never imagined when he wrote that passage. The prince of the power of the air, though, and look what he is able to do with the airwaves today. So what have we got? Humility. We've got obedience. We've got nobility. And what is the, the fourth one that we have overcome? This is principles for fathers. And the R is respect. Respect. Means to have a high regard for something. Someone that pay attention to. To value. To admire. To appreciate. And what would a father come to respect? How about his parents? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. They may not be worthy of respect, but you have to respect the position that they hold. And that's the way we that's the way we must must view them. You know, I don't know anybody that had perfect parents. I had good parents, but they weren't perfect. And they'd be the first ones to tell you that. And that's just the way it is. That's who, who we are. But there is a position. Honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long. On this earth. To esteem someone. As we esteem the tomb of the unknown soldier. It is uh, quite a thing to behold. I got to see it one time. In the changing of the guard. It. Was a moment of respect. Memorial Day. The Seth pointed out about those who died in service of their country not about all veterans who have served it's a, sub, it's a smaller classification of people Veterans Day honors all who have served their country but to have respect to hold esteem and that would, that would start with where where should, where should the father start respect for the almighty that's where it starts Respect for his wife. okay. Respect for his father and his mother. There's respect that needs to be shown and passed on. To esteem. (coughs) That's the attitudinal marker of a real servant. In Titus chapter (coughs) 2, verse 9, urge bond servants to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Okay? So it means that we, don't, we don't want to fight with people about everything and, and everyone. Um, sometimes when you let kids just do nothing but argue with you, they grow up to just argue with anybody and everybody along the way. There's a time and a place. If they have disagreements and stuff. They ought to be able in a family to bring it to daddy and talk it out. Talk through things. Work through that. They should be able to do that. But he says, Be subject, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so they'll adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly. Righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things, Titus, speak, exhort, reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now that's quite a statement. It's an attitudinal marker of a, a bond servant. Okay? And it is Christ like. We would expect to see that wouldn't we? First Peter chapter two respect. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? There's a lot better things than getting my way all the time. And sometimes we find out that maybe the boss actually knew what they were doing. Now, I've worked in places, and you go, that's the stupidest guy I ever saw in charge, or stupidest girl I ever saw in charge. And sometimes you can look at the White House and go, Hap- this happened, and <clears throat> yet they're still there. So you still have to have respect For the position that is there. For this finds favor. For if for the sake of consciousness toward God. A person bears up under sorrows. When suffering unjustly. Suffering unjustly. Do we have more oil under this ground here in the United States? I think we have plenty. Some estimates for next 400 years. Okay? That's a little more time of transition into non-fossil fuels, if people would like it. But what have they done? They've shut off supplies and blamed it on everybody else but the problem, where the problem is. Now, what has that done for us? Does anybody out there like to spend $100 to fill up their gas tank? This was being facetious. I certainly don't. It's no fun, isn't it? It's amazing how all that money flowed out into the economy and then was stolen back so quickly with inflation and prices. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. If when you do what is right and suffer it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. See, Christ is our example. For you have been called for this purpose Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his stripes you have been healed. And you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. It is so amazing that we as human beings are so stupid at times. It takes an incredible amount of pressure to get us to look to the Lord. How how are we going to live through this? How are we going to solve this? What are we going to do about this? And did it happen to anybody else in human history? How about the Jews in the desert? Why didn't they spend 40 years walking around in the desert? All but two of them to die out there. Because they were stiff-necked, hard-headed individuals who wouldn't obey. What was their primary command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Teach your children when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you go to bed at night. That's what they were called to do. It's interesting that somewhere along the line, the children of the Exodus generation found out what they needed to know because they became a great generation, the conquest generation. Not without their mistakes, but a lot better than their fathers who died out there in the desert. How long did that last, that conquest generation? According to Josephus, 20 years under Joshua, and it started falling apart. That means that fathers need to be fathers in every generation and pass it on. We don't need to leave one generation without some good representatives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, again for all you've done, for all your blessings, your tests, your opportunities. Thank you for this divine institution. And, Father, we do pray for mercy upon our nation. But, we Father, we pray this mercy will help people to understand and realize that a big part of the problems that are going on comes from the breakdown within marriages and families. And so, Father, I pray that people would learn from it. They would be turned around to follow the truth which is found in your word. We pray we would be examples for others to follow. We thank you for this opportunity and privilege.